I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Part Date. You might be sat on a sweaty train or in a crumbling Victorian hovel. But for the next insert number of minutes, please, we'll be taking you back to nature. Because in each episode, we'll rip up the podcast rulebook and kidnap, well, lead, a different guest to their favourite local park. And there, we'll talk about the things that they like to do. So pack a picnic blanket. Try saying that after a few Proseccos. Our guarantee to you, lucky listener, is that this episode will contain one or more of the following. Ice cream. Swings grass, dog walkers, drunks, canoodling couples, a possible mugging, and fun in the sun, unless it rains. So join me, Christopher Beanland, yes, that is my real name, and a special guest as we try to create the perfect park date. Calthorpe Park in Birmingham. You can hear the leaves crunching under my feet. They're scorched by the summer heat. Uh, it's the opening day of the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Everyone here is very excited. Um, I saw some giant puppets in Victoria Square. Tonight, the games are going to kick off. Will the opening ceremony be as exciting and memorable as the London 2012 opening ceremony? Well, by the time you listen to this, you'll know. Will it have been a damp squib or a roaring success? Um, I'm not going to that event, though. (laughs) We're in competition with that tonight. Uh, I am... Going to a screening of the Michael Cumming and Stuart Lee film King Rocker and then interviewing Stuart Lee after. Me and David Baldwin will be doing a podcast as well, whether he likes it or not. Um, another thing I wanted to do while I was here is to introduce Ben Norris, who is the star of the episode of Park Date that you're about to hear. Poet, actor, uh, playwright, 
a true gentleman, very funny, very cool, and uh, you're going to enjoy hearing him talk about how they make the noises <laughs> that sound like a lamb giving birth in the Archers, which uh, is recorded just up the road at BBC Birmingham and has been for millennia. Ben Norris also attended university here in Birmingham and we talked about Birmingham and how much we both like the city. You know by now that I'm uh, a person who spent a few years living here in Birmingham and wrote a novel uh, based in Birmingham as well, though they didn't ask me to attend the opening ceremony tonight uh, to recreate uh, sections of the wall in the head. Anyway, enjoy this chat with Ben Norris. Uh, Ben's play Autopilot sounds incredible. If we can get everything ready in time, we'll have this up while it's still running at Edinburgh Festival, so do check it out. Autopilot, I'm sure it'll be touring after that as well. As always, if you're enjoying Part Date, please do subscribe so the podcast automatically appears in your feed. And uh, please leave a review and name check some trees. Lots of car noise now, it's rush hour. I'm going to meet Stuart Lee. Enjoy this episode of Part Date. That's it, that's the end. I know I'm still talking, but anyway, it's over now. Yeah. It's over now. No, really. This is the... Just shut up, Chris. Shut up. Okay, bye. Welcome to the Beauvoir Square. I'm here with Ben Norris, or maybe we should say Ben Norris. Thank you. Yes, please, if you wouldn't mind. Experiment with pronunciation. Ben, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. You've had a meeting, you've come down from Seven Sisters into the beautiful, uh, sunny, well, not sunny today. Sunny adjacent. Exactly, <laughs> cloudy. Um, yeah, we're here in De Beauvoir Square. Uh, I actually quite like this square. We've got these kind of like Dutch houses around the, around the edge. Very nicely maintained rose bushes it's, it's quite fancy it's lovely it's, it's like just off of, of the Kingsland Road so it's yeah quite quiet quite secluded it's very yeah. peaceful you can hear the wind in the trees mm-hmm. the grass is suffering a little bit because of the heat wave it's parched where isn't it's a bit mm-hmm. thirsty like but, me yeah <laughs> aren't we all <laughs> but um yeah it's really nice there's kids playing there's, yeah. a, there's a nice kind of but it's still the working day so it's not like packed I don't know yeah. I'm a big fan I've never been here before Oh, right. My first time. First time. Well, let's take a stroll around. I'll show you around. It won't take very long because it's very <laughs> tiny, to be honest. I've done some of these in um, you know, Hampstead Heath or something. You have yeah. a very long walk. But Get lost. Yeah, it, it feels a bit strange doing one in a very small very small part where you're just walking around in a little circle. But um, let's have a look anyway. There's a little, a little house here. I don't think anyone lives here. Kind house of is um, a generous hot. way of... Yeah. What I, were you going to call it? it might even be a public toilet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's like the old groundskeeper's cottage. I think it probably is, yeah. Keep the, let me have a look around the back. Maybe keep the spades and all that kind of, uh, all that kind of thing. Got some quite new-looking bike well, there's locks a, around here. Well, there's a, there's a new bike. This is my bike, which uh, is very old and knackered. Um, but that one is very fancy, isn't it? Some kind of uh, electric. Yeah, like electric child transporter. 
Yeah, it's very, that's if, it's like, t- if Batman. T- if Batman had twins <laughs> and got a bike, that it would be that bike. Batman has had kids. Yeah, moved to Dalston, settled and, down, uh, but still like exactly very married to his aesthetic. <laughs> that's what that is. <laughs> Yeah. It actually does look a lot like that, doesn't it? I have to take a photo before we go. Yeah. Um, on the so, uh, uh, do you know what? Is it, well, let's talk about this now. On the subject of, we were talking about park keepers and spades and stuff. For your role in the archers, did you have to? Very re- nice segue. Did- <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> it just occurred to me. Did you have to learn about farming? A bit. Did, did you have to like read a book? How how do you farm? Um, not necessarily. You didn't go full. You didn't go full De Niro like method acting. Well, more more. In, because reading a book would be useful but in terms of like what it needs to sound like is that you've got it in your body and mm. that like you know your way around certain activities yeah um so it's more like watching videos or even sometimes doing certain tasks right and and knowing like the amount of exertion that something takes mm. like if you're baling hay or you're um you're lambing or whatever right like what does that talk us through require? what both of those things mean well, <laughs> I, I mentioned baling hay just because I was listening on the way here. I was catching up on the old yeah, omnibuses. Yeah, you said, yeah. Um, and, uh, and was there some hay baling going on? There was on? some hay, there was some intense hay baling going on. Is that um, when you, ro- you roll the hay into a kind of, like a Swiss roll thing? Now, I should admit straight up, I don't know. Because <laughs> I don't know my, my family's farm is a dairy farm. Um, oh, so, so I've you never have a farming background. I've never no 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 my arches family oh, you're farm right. is it? I was like, oh darling, real life. No, no. <laughs> no, I've just taken great ownership over Ben there and said mine. Yeah. But uh, no, the 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 archer yeah, yeah. particular archer clan to which I Ben uh, I yeah. should say uh, it doesn't help that we have the same name either. Yeah. Uh, to which Ben Archer belongs is a dairy farm. Yes. So I've never had to bale any hay in okay. the show. You just um, have so to milk So I think milk it's cows. where they just turn the hay into bales of yeah. hay. But it's very physically it's very um, taxing. Yeah. And then, then you stack them on the trailer and then they take them off. Um, ah. But in terms of lambing and, you know, obviously we use various different tricks to make it sound like the, the actual thing is happening. Mm-hmm. We have some fantastic um, spot SMs in the studio who make mm. all sorts of uh, contraptions, um, do certain things to, to give the impression that a lamb is being born or whatever. So and, lambing um, is when the lamb is born? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so you're, you're helping the you give birth. Mm. Um, and in, in our particular case, that would be a tea towel filled with yogurt dropped onto some old cassette tape on the floor. Hold on, this sounds like hay. This sounds like Barbarian Sound Studio. Yeah, <laughs> it's closer than you'd think. Archer's version. So it's so it's yeah. The, the, I guess that it's maybe this is a little bit too explicit, but sort of this, the moist sound of birth, uh, and then like the weight of a lamb falling onto onto straw. That's um, a fantastic. Beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. But um, the other, the other one for me was sheepdog calls because uh, I have a sheepdog in the show. Mm. So l- learning. What's like, your dog? Um, What's its name? Bess. Bess. Yeah. Um, but border collie. Yes. And uh, yeah. and so learning the difference between the way that people who have kind of normal dogs, quote mm. unquote, would talk to their dogs or whistle for their dogs versus yeah. how a sheep, um, how a shepherd would talk to their sheepdog. Um, because the first time I had a scene like that I started doing something and they were like absolutely not absolutely not that so I went, went away and swiftly listened to some to some YouTube watched a couple of like world championship shepherding videos and stuff to see how the, the pros do it now I'm, I'm reminded of when, when I was young I don't know if it exists anymore there was a show called One Man and His Dog which was on BBC One on Sunday and uh, it featured Yorkshire uh, men of a certain age whistling for their, for their sheepdog and sheepdog would round up uh, round up the sheep 
the court, the command was always come by. Yeah, they go come by. I uh, I think I may have watched a couple of those clips yeah. in my uh, extensive research period as well. It's really wholesome, isn't it? It's a very calming oh, really? thing to spend time with. It is. Content like that. Oh, completely, completely. It's it's reminding me of my my Yorkshire uh, Yorkshire upbringing. Uh, I only only lived there when I was little, but yeah, the the sheep on the hills and all that kind of, the kind of rural life is. Obviously, it has. Well, and I think in the arches they've kind of addressed actually some of the the, the darker realities, right, of, of rural life. It's mm-hmm. not this kind of idyll that we imagine, but at the same time, it's calmer than living in a city. And yeah, everything happens at a different pace. It's a, it's slower, isn't it? And yeah, people are can be quite friendly, and uh, that's quite quite nice. I imagine that's uh, quite a good gig to have, right? It's a lovely gig to have. Yeah. I wish we got to actually do it in the countryside. Yeah. I love Birmingham. We were just talking before. Exactly, we were we talking about, about Birmingham, Birmingham weren't we? Yeah. we both love it, but in terms of getting out of the city for a mm-hmm. bit, it would be great if we got to go and do any kind yeah. of recording on location. But yeah. no, I, I really, really enjoy it. It's a lovely family to be a part of, and it's great as an actor yeah. to have something that kind of is a bit regular, yeah. or semi-regular. <laughs> and... Um, and I love that. I love kind of aging with the character and, and mm. um, the idea that you look at some of the, the stalwarts of the cast and they've been so doing inspired. it for years, like, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. If, I, if I got to still be in the show when I'm in my seventies, mm. how amazing is that to go on such a journey yeah. with someone? Um, so yeah, it's great. It's great company to be in, and, and I feel very lucky. Yeah, that's brilliant. What's um, the longest uh, time that someone's been in the Archers? It's a very long time, isn't it? Yeah. Well, um, June Spencer yeah. is 103 years old yeah. and still in the show. Yeah. And she was in the first episode wow. in 1951. That's incredible. So, um, 19... I'm pretty sure no one will ever beat that. Yeah. And she plays Peggy Woolley um, and she's just, well, she's a machine, isn't she? Let's yeah. be honest. Like, wow, 103. 103. <laughs> and she's still, she's still working. That's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. And the, the actor that plays my, my gran, mm. um, Paddy Green, she she's amazing as well yeah. another really long standing and I had a bit more um, to do with her when I joined because uh, Ben and Peggy don't really ever talk that much yeah. but because Jill's Ben's gran we had a lot of scenes together she was a big part of making me feel really welcome and, and ditto the actors that play my parents like everyone was so friendly and, and it mm. was yeah I'm hugely grateful for that kind of because they know that you're it's a big it can be a bit daunting I suppose for yeah. like a younger actor to, to become part of it's an institution, really, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah so I owe them all a lot, and, and I'm, I'm very lucky, as I said. It's nice. It's very yeah. familial, I think. You do start to see them as kind of extended family-like figures. Yeah. Yeah, that must be a nice nice thing to do. And you make, you make that in Birmingham. We were talking... Uh, you, you went to university in Birmingham. I've lived in Birmingham for a bit as well. There's a, there's a quite interesting kind of creative scene going on that people don't necessarily know about um and ben you're you're a poet as well and you you were saying to me that um you uh kind of cut your teeth almost didn't you in, in birmingham doing your poetry and uh doing readings and going to events and things there maybe talk us through that a little bit yeah birmingham was birmingham really lit lit that fire for me i'd had a kind of I suppose a secret interest in poetry before that because it's not very cool <laughs> and not very encouraged 
um, it's the socially first, among like young men at least. So. First thing I ever had published was a poem. No way. Before journalism or any kind of creative writing, yeah, it was it was poetry, and I loved poetry. But you're talking yeah. in the past tense, and that's worrying me. What I I don't write poetry anymore. No. Do you read it? Or I no? read it. I read it, but oh, right. uh, I don't I don't write it anymore. But I still love poetry. Um, but yeah, what was what was what was kind of the thing that that what, drew you to poetry? Uh, I think. I think the um, how helpful it is to explore moments or feelings or things that mm. you're struggling with uh, in the first instance. Um, that's what drew me to it, and then after that, it was uh, as much the community as it was the actual art form itself. Mm. Birmingham Uni had a really fantastic, well, artistic scene in general. Loads of brilliant drama societies, and yeah. that was a big part of getting me back into that but also a really amazing creative writing society so there's a great student scene and then we all kind of struck out into the city centre and tried to make connections with the poetry nights that were happening there and not just to be in our student-y bubble and, and um, yeah that was a huge part of launching me on on the sort of poetry journey I suppose if mm. that's not too grand a thing to say yeah. like doing doing poetry slams they were they still are big but like they were really having a moment then, uh, I think. Um, and I got my first paid gig while I was at uni still, and, and just the idea of being, oh, you're going you're gonna to pay me money to read some poems. That's mad. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and you're going to pay for me to get a train somewhere. And Yeah. Um, yeah, just really um, blew my tiny mind, and, and it was great. And I've still got lots of friends in the city as a result of, of that, yeah. because I think what's sad about uni well what's both sad and magical about uni sometimes is that like you can make brilliant friends yeah and the 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 time that you have there and the friends that you have there and the culture is very finite because it it ends when yeah everyone goes away yeah everyone leaves and i think the thing that i'm really grateful for although i didn't clock that this was what was happening at the time is that i've I put down a few more. I don't live there anymore. I, mm. I could live there again for sure. I, I love it there, but I, I sort of inadvertently put down some slightly deeper roots uh, as a result of just uh, trying to dive into these communities that were mm. not just student communities. And, and when I go back now, if I have some spare time around recording Archer's stuff, I'll, I'll go and have dinner with a friend or I'll, yeah. I'll try and go to a poetry night or something like that and, and I, I love that, it yeah. makes me feel like I'm not just like a travelling salesman <laughs> staying in an anonymous hotel and not knowing anybody which yeah. sometimes this job can feel like so. Yes, I can imagine um, What's the best uh, venue to go and uh, listen to poetry in Birmingham at the moment? <sighs> Where would you go? Well, the, the one that will always have a, the specialist place in my heart um, although the the night isn't there anymore, but is the Victoria Pub, um, which is where Hit the Ode was when I was there. Mm-hmm. Hit the Ode now is at the Hippodrome, mm-hmm. and the Hippodrome is doing awesome work to support uh, grassroots art scenes, not just poetry, but dance and all sorts. Um, is the Victoria the one that's next to the Hippodrome? Is it mm, that one? It's just down from the Alexandra. Oh, it's the like, Alexandra. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. So, so it's, one, yeah. it's on the corner. Yeah. Um, and uh, and back in the day, that's where we would go and, mm. and hit the O's this great night. Still runs. Back then, it had a, a really cool theme, which was it would have one local headliner, mm. one sort of national headliner, and one international headliner. Um, 
which for a poetry night is like very logistically ambitious mm. to sort of be flying people in. I think they would they would try and tie it in with if this person was yeah. already going to be in Europe or the UK doing a tour or whatever. Mm. But they'd get some pretty big names from from international spoken word, and that that was hugely inspiring. And yeah. and yeah, now that night happens at the Hippodrome. What kind um, of people uh, did they book? Can you remember any any ones that you were very taken by? Well, the, I can remember the first the first one I ever went to that was the thing that I left and went, I want to be a poet, mm. very concretely, was Vanessa Kasule, mm-hmm. um, Ken Arkind, John Sands, and a sadly now deceased Birmingham poet called Paul Murphy, who was a musician and a, and a, and a spoken word artist. And, and it's one of those things where, like, it's, you know, they were always great, but sometimes they were, like, it, it worked better on some nights than others and sometimes this alchemical wonder occurred whereby just the performance who mostly had never I think Ken and John knew each other they yeah. were both uh, both from the States I think they were touring together but Vanessa Paul Ken and John no previous gigs together no connection just and the, and the open micers as well something happens in the room where you're like this is a special this is a special night yeah. and um, yeah I think I think I actually like set up a wordpress when i got home that <laughs> night like ben norris poet dot wordpress yeah. like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do it and it, it, i just I had such hunger after that it was yeah. it really really inspiring yeah it's incredible when you feel that feeling um and it makes you think actually that's what i want to do when you when you get inspired it's 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 incredible and that's how creativity kind of spreads isn't it you see someone you love I love the idea of fandom, right? Mm. Like the idea that you see people and they inspire you and then who knows, maybe you'll inspire someone else and it's it's kind of, yeah, it's sort of like passing it on, isn't it? Yeah, and it reminds you to care still. I think mm. it's, it's easy if you're Absolutely. stressed and tired, whatever. Yeah. You're like, you don't know if someone in the audience is coming to the thing mm. for the first time. You don't know... Um, they could leave like mm. with their whole life trajectory yeah. altered in some way yeah. or, or just they've been given this tool this outlet to express themselves that they perhaps didn't know about yeah. and it, it hugely changes their experience of being alive imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Yeah. like... Uh, massive. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a funda- fundamental great thing. To try isn't and keep it? that in mind. And I think, but people don't realise, you know, Birmingham has this literary scene. We talked a little bit about Catherine O'Flynn, didn't we? Who, mm. who we both, we both like uh, Jonathan Coe and Claire Morale. There's lots of writers who've come from Birmingham or, or written about Birmingham. There's lots of lots of kind of literary talent there and people doing interesting things. It's, yeah, and people who taught me like Luke Kennard. And Bogdan Piasecki, like yes. uh, Benjamin Zephaniah, famously Benjamin back in Zephaniah, the day, of like course. and the, yeah. the Birmingham Literature Festival is amazing. Yeah. Writing West Midlands as an organisation, mm-hmm. like great at supporting yeah. uh, people at all different stages of their career. Um, yeah, I've I've loved it, and and you know, there's a canal laureate mm-hmm. uh, as well, which is not specific to Birmingham. It's it's a every a, canal, a, a national. Yeah, every canal has its own <laughs> laureate. Can you imagine the logistics? Um, <laughs> And they have to like battle each other at various like intersections, various locks. locks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who's going to rule this particular stretch of canal for the next decade? Um, but yeah, for a while that that had Joe Bell was the inaugural yeah. um, canal and and river trust right. laureate, and then Luke did it for a bit. And yeah. so yeah, it, it because of Birmingham's rich mm. waterways, mm. I think that that had a that had a real. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Anchorage, if you'll forgive the pun, oh. in the city. I, I hate myself for that one. Um, yeah, so that no, was going to sink great. you, Ben. Oh, wow. <laughs> we, we, we've launched on a dangerous path oh, here. Dear. <laughs> End it now. End yeah, it now. Please. Um, <laughs> so um, you've uh, you pub- you published poems as well. You've had, um, you, you said pamphlets, didn't you? You've had poetry pamphlets and you've you've written. Do you, do, how do you feel about the difference between, between writing and performing poetry? What's your feelings about how, you know, do, do you have a, a preference or how do you feel about the... The, the big question, mm. the, um, a source of, like, much um, consternation within the poetry world, much of it, like, very avoidable as well, I think. Mm. There was a, people like to characterise the kind of page versus stage... Mm-hmm. Um, I've never heard that before. A page well, versus stage. Well, I'm glad you haven't because we all got so bored of it. Right. Um, it's, it was, you know stereotypically speaking it would be like page poets are really good writers but they're really boring mm. and um, performance poets can't actually write but they're very charismatic and they do lots of mm. rhymes and isn't that nice um, and <laughs> uh, p- various gatekeepers of each respective world would be very yeah. disparaging about the other uh, occasionally one of the newspapers would be like is poetry dead 
uh, or poetry's not dead, it's the new rock and roll, and we'd fluctuate between these two kind of exhausting and really reductive binary positions. With, with a picture of Murray Lucklin Young or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or Kay Tempest, or, or Kay Tempest, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. And, and at once people would be decrying the end and the beginning of poetry or its rebirth, and, and um, actually it's a lot more amorphous than that, and that's mm. where the best and most interesting stuff lies. I love both, yeah. and, and I, I, yeah, there's a reason I, I do both. I think people sometimes say, oh, if you had to pick writing or performing I can't pick otherwise mm. I would have picked already I think yeah. and, and I would have concentrated my energies in that but I I love the relationship with an audience yeah. that you get in the, when you write something for publication you, you're not there at the moment of when it's mm. received and I think getting that immediate feedback and being able to have that two way relationship yeah. like if something's funny or, or even if it's subtler than that you know just mm. something in the air uh, an exchange happens and that's incredibly um nourishing yeah um, and at the same time there's a kind of quiet interiority that comes with writing that I think is really necessary and um, you're not necessarily reverse engineering something to get a laugh or to be impactful mm. you're just being very truthful about what a particular moment needs mm. or a line needs and I don't know It's I, there, there's no answer really it's something that well, I've thought a lot about but yeah well I think the way you, that's actually made me think quite a lot there what you just said Ben because I think you put it really 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 well it's something i've something i've thought about i as a writer i've come very very late to performing anything i never did uh stand up uh i never kind of did book talks or anything like that i never did acting and i sometimes think i should have done but i guess i was i was kind of consumed by that writerly um, desire for everything to be perfect on the page mm. and also uh, let's face it quite shit at performing <laughs> you need to you need to be good at that i think that's a skill that's i've kind of got a little bit better at as i've got older and more confident i mean yeah you must have had like the confidence to go up on stage and act and read when when you were younger as well yeah i think i was a like exhausting attention seeker at school who like well, that's the well that's the answer isn't it very poorly behaved and then <laughs> so, right. the drama teachers were like how about you take that so he's like googling and, adhd yeah yeah and, and and going well yeah so i know you want to be the center of attention yeah. and then maybe instead of like throwing bricks through windows and like um getting chucked out of classes why don't you be in the play instead and i was like oh okay so there's a way to yeah. carry on mucking around but get praised for it instead yeah. oh great I mean I'm being um, deliberately uh, disingenuous yeah. but like that's sort of what happened hold on well, but we're both northern aren't we? well you're from Nottingham aren't you? Nottingham. you're from Nottingham I'm from Yorkshire uh, and I think it's fair to say in both of those places where we come from anything that that approaches uh, performance or kind of t- that tall poppy syndrome a little bit you know what I'm talking yeah, about yeah 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 like, totally kind of like don't make a fuss yeah. kind of thing uh, which I feel being surrounded by southerners as we are in London I don't think people have that in London everyone seems to me to be encouraged at an early age to go mm. and perform I think and it's, it's, a, it's about class as much as it is anything mm. else I think, I like think that's right too, anyone yeah. who yeah, goes to a, a school where things are expected of them mm. where it's, norm, it's normal for people to go onto Oxbridge or to become an MP or CEO of somewhere mm. I think that's it's like yeah do that but at school, I don't know where you went to school, but I went to a kind of pretty bog-standard um, yeah, comprehensive. battery farm comprehensive yeah, school. Yeah, me too. Um, and, um, yeah, like, you, no one wants to stick their head above the parapet because it just makes you ripe for, for uh, being taken down a peg or two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
but at the same time, then in in like lots of working class culture, you, there's a great like storytelling tradition. There's a great comedic tradition. There's a, an expectation that people will be able to have like, for want of a better word, banter and like good um, kind of repartee and, and be able to like. That's very true. And so isn't I it? think like when you see people in the pub, yeah, exactly, yeah, in the pub, kind of repressed yeah, comedians, yeah, and like you know, it all comes from kind of um, manual labour. Mm culture I think and mm. people just people riffing off of each other all the time and, and ribbing each other and, and mm. I think to, you have to be able to do that to survive mm. and so if you can if you if you're good at that then then it's maybe less frowned on that you I don't know I'm I'm I, this is not a, a theory that I've developed uh, much beyond the last 45 seconds of us talking <laughs> but um but I think it's interesting to consider yeah. where like on the one hand you don't want to be like oh look at me but yeah. there's there's an expectation that you that you'll be able to do certain you know I remember an interview with Beth Steele the playwright who wrote Wonderland which is about Nottingham miners mm. and um, someone someone said oh you know your dad was a miner so you must you must have got your sense of humour from him and she's like no I'm just funny I'm, I'm also <laughs> funny you know and like that that kind of thing where um, it just is part of it's part of a family it's part of a culture it's mm. it's you grow up with that kind of stuff yeah expected of you and you get you get good at it and you get sharp you get defensive in a way <laughs> yeah exactly I was sometimes I remember um, loving D.H. Lawrence when we were in school I, I always quite enjoyed his books and I wondered how uh, his kind of sensitivity would have gone down in that quite tough world of um, you know the, the, those kind of mining communities but actually you know there are there are like sparks of that and it's just it's just about kind of how you discover it it's it's often teachers isn't it who help yeah. you to discover that I feel like teachers are the real heroes of the piece they kind of say to you I remember my teachers very encouraging my English teachers especially mm-hmm. encouraged me a lot and said you know you maybe you can write and and um, I don't know if you had the same thing but I feel like teachers in those circumstances can actually yeah. be the, the sort of key that unlocks the door and gives you that that maybe confidence that you wouldn't necessarily get from somewhere else right 100 percent. that's exactly what happened with me the two drama teachers that mm. i had uh, initially and then uh, and then the english teachers um once they'd seen drama the drama department worked on me a bit and softened me <laughs> up to the point where the english department went okay we, we can move in now right, and yeah. um and and yeah between them they they changed my life yeah. i don't think it's an exaggeration to say that mm. uh really changed the path that i was on and um I guess it's about permission isn't it mm. it's about self-belief and it's about permission I was just thinking when you're talking about D.H. Lawrence and imagining you kind of in the corner of the playground while there's a football match going on just reading <laughs> Lady Chatley's Lover on your own and and actually there's sensitivity everywhere people yeah. just need to be allowed to feel it or told that it's it's mm. legitimate and and then you then you realise there's this whole universe inside you that you've not looked at before mm. um, and that's when I think I started writing poetry because it feels like poetry is the the language of the universe inside you and theatre and acting maybe is the language of the universe that you live in with the society that you live in with other people I, I turn to poetry when there's like difficult things happening I think in, in me in my soul mm. <laughs> um, and drama is like about obviously it's about people going through stuff too but because you you only have the unless you give someone in a monologue you only have the language that people actually use when they speak mm. aloud it's a, a good vehicle for exploring um 
bigger societal moral questions yeah. whatever it is and, and, and poetry is the thing that I turn to when I want when I'm feeling quiet and and um, introspective and, yeah. I, and I, I need to puzzle something through just just in me um, and I haven't I haven't written a poem in ages yeah uh, because I've been more I've had more of a theater head on but it's yeah I miss it and I know that there'll be there's a big way you know I, I fluctuate back and forth mm. and so when I don't write one for a while I know that I'm probably there's a big poetry moment approaching in my life again <laughs> what's like, that coming over the hill <laughs> is it a monster no it's a sestina you know like and it's coming for you were so you quoting we'll the automatic there? I absolutely was yeah, thank you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need more of that in podcasts uh, do great, we great <laughs> <laughs> I remember that tune. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, you mentioned theatre, of course. Um, obviously, your play, which is going to be on in Edinburgh, sounds fantastic. That's, um, I mean, you've been working on that for years, haven't you? Too um, long. <laughs> right? So this was supposed to be in 2020, wasn't it? And then COVID yeah. got in the way. Um, how are you feeling about putting it on now? Uh, Do you think the, t- the time's passed? Cancel it, forget about it. What cancel <laughs> the time? As in, it doesn't count. Can, no, just cancel the play. Oh, absolutely, just, can, yeah, yeah just cancel chuck it, it away. Chuck it away. Um, how stressed I am about it right now, as we speak, like uh, one week away from the first performance. <laughs> absolutely, cancel very, it. Very yeah. stressed. But no, I'm, I'm, I hope I don't feel like that in a yeah. week uh, when we're when we're actually yeah up and running. But yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a weird one. I started writing it in 2017, mm-hmm. and. It went through various drafts and redrafts and then eventually got to a place where it was going to see the light of day 2020. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. But then it's given me a chance to redraft it some more. And oh, so you've, so you've um, done some edits on it since 2020? The most significant edits it's ever had, actually. Like the, right. Yeah, the, it's, it's changed quite a bit mm-hmm. um, since then. I had a bit of an epiphany about um, who the characters were mm. and what worlds they were both from. And I sort of swapped some things around that made it that made it make a lot more sense to me. And I was like, oh, I can't believe I haven't seen that before. But maybe it took the kind of stopping of the world to like yeah. distill. Do you know what I mean? That like that lots of people had lots of mm. realizations. And when I, I went to do a redraft of it in February of 2021, mm. um, I was like, why have I why have I not spotted this before? It, it seemed like the obvious thing to do, but I think I needed a minute away from it just being sad and drinking in the daytime in, in my pyjamas <laughs> like we all were in various yeah, ways uh, and, and then coming back yeah. to it like with, with, with a fresher perspective mm. so, so I'm grateful for that time in a, in a weird way but the narrative is still it's still there it's this idea of the self-driving car um, and then these two characters who meet kind of because of, of that uh, yeah device, very, very much so it's the same the same kind of th- thematic world uh, I just was switching around uh, so basically one of the characters is a, an engineer who works for, eventually works with a self-driving car mm-hmm. company the other character is a, a freelance illustrator artist kind of left wing activist um, um, uh, but one of them is from a more working class background crudely speaking mm-hmm. one of them's uh, from more privilege and it used to be the other way around and it used to be what maybe is the obvious way around uh, but that was suddenly much less interesting to me and I was like oh yeah no that they just they used to meet and they used to be like this is who I am and they weren't lying and actually you know the, 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 the drama now is in a kind of a performance of who they are based on who the other person wants them to be um, 
and then alongside that the self-driving car kind of exists I suppose in and of itself because I'm fascinated by the moral dilemma that sits at the heart of self-driving car design but also uh, as a metaphor for kind of um, how much agency we have in our own lives uh, particularly along kind of class and financial grounds and, and who is answerable for what mistakes you know when things are getting decided far away from where the impact will be literally or figuratively speaking kind of how do we reconcile that on an ethical level um and I came to it because I didn't, I didn't know the answer. I think it's, I'm really interested in writing about questions that I don't know the answer to. Mm. I think there's a lot of value in plays that have a question that they do know the answer to if, they're, if the gesture of the play is to convince you of that answer as well. But in this case, I was like, wow, I have no idea how I feel about this thing. Yeah. And that felt like a fruitful place to write from. Um, casting my mind back to 600 BC when I first started working <laughs> it honestly feels it's it's wild Covid has really distorted yeah. time well and that's interesting what you're saying about answers as well because I bet um, 9 journalists out of 10 will ask you questions like oh, how do you feel about a self-driving car is it a good idea <laughs> is it the future but are you, you're kind of ambivalent maybe about those yeah they're difficult questions to ask I'm like mm. come and see the play yeah, uh, exactly. it's, it's sort of um yeah, that's the whole. That was the jumping-off point. Yeah. Because I don't know. Yeah. Because because on paper they're a lot safer. Mm-hmm. Have you been in any? No. Um, I mean, cars we have now are have elements of mm. automation, of of yeah. course. But I've not been in a car where I've seen the steering wheel yeah. turn itself. I went in one. How was that for you? It was really weird. It was in New York. Yeah. Um, in Brooklyn, they had a test, um, and it was like a van thing so they had a driver who was just sat there doing nothing but yeah you could see the you could see the wheel moving and all these cameras and sensors very very strange it's wild isn't it yeah yeah because there's there's um four stages of automated vehicle design um uh, at which like which steadily get more mm. kind of more um self-driving mm. uh how does it go hands off feet off eyes off brain off so the one you would have been, I imagine, was just hands off. Mm. But was the driver still accelerating and braking? No. Oh, so hands off and feet off. Mm. But not eyes off and brain off, because the car at any point might like make a noise and exactly. require the driver to take back they over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're very much... Yeah, yeah. And then the next one is you can not be looking, but you still have to be switched on. And then and then brain off is fully like... Um, you can be asleep. You just yeah. might, you might as well be on a plane or on a train or whatever, not as the driver. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So it's... it's, it's um, it's scary, I think, because we're used to being... If something goes wrong, we want somebody to blame. And I think that's, that's the thing that we find hard about it. We, we think, okay, even if, even if I crash, I know I've crashed and I'm in charge of this thing. And there's something romantic about cars, I think, as well. Like, going on a road trip, like, the wind in your hair, even though we, there's this battered old machine that's terrible for the planet there's some i think people are, people will find it really hard to uncouple themselves from what the car has meant like as a cultural symbol mm. i love life. ballard and he said the man in the car was the kind of defining image of the of the century he, he wrote a lot about that didn't he like concrete island and things like that yeah and we and I, I i was on a plane recently and i watched ford versus ferrari yeah i quite enjoyed that Do you know what yeah great great entertaining yeah. blockbustery film but the how much we've sold the car as a lifestyle thing and as a symbol of 
aspirational well as everything you know mm. particularly in the states but here too i think it's it's so interesting um and the way that elon musk has positioned himself as like yes we're making self-driving cars yeah. but they also are symbols of it doesn't it doesn't rob you of like your they're very yeah. masculine things aren't they teslas and like um you can't get in them <laughs> I got, I got I've never tried. I got to, not allowed. I've had not one time. I got an Uber and it was a Tesla, and I couldn't get into it because the handles are kind of recessed. I was like, yeah, how do I yeah, get? it's a little, I looked it's, so uncool. It's his castle. Get, yeah, you had to be admitted. <laughs> how do I get into your car? Yeah, very embarrassing. I would have, I would have been intimidated yeah. by that and just gone back to my gone back I, I, I was like a lime too. cycle somewhere and been like, yeah, this yeah. is this is more me. I don't know. It's it's funny, isn't it? So yes, I think mm. I don't know the answer, and it intimidates me, and that's mm. why I thought let's lean in towards that yeah. feeling of discomfort rather than away from it. And, and, and I think asking those questions is really interesting. I love Black Mirror, and I think that you know they, there's questions in there about like what what do uh, what what are the kind of moral implications of technology, which is I guess maybe something that you're considering as well, isn't it? A hundred percent. I think that I'm not actually interested in the tech in mm. and of itself. Otherwise, I'd you know it, I'd be writing a yeah. uh, an article about the tech. I mm. think it's it's got to always be about the human ramifications and how we deal with it as a species and yeah. how it affects us and our relationships. And right. the best episodes of Black Mirror are the ones that are all about people, really. They are, aren't they? I think it's the love story ones, um, like Hang the DJ yeah. and San Junipero. Nosedive is also brilliant because it's, it's a Faustian Excellent. tale of exactly. uh, you know like yeah. someone someone's whole life falling apart. Mm. Uh, it just happens to be set in this universe not wildly far from our yeah. own where like it's all about ratings and, and yeah. technological kind of um, disempowerment but like yeah I'm writing a short film that w uh, we're going to shoot in September actually which is oh, finally it's another pre-Covid thing that's finally happening and, and that, that has similar kind of concerns on the surface it looks quite techy borderline sci-fi more so than autopilot but it's again it's not really it's about people and power and how that moves um and it just happens to be that the, the 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 vehicle for that is um is a tech thing um in both of these cases yeah because i don't really think of myself as like a sci-fi or even sci-fi adjacent writer it just happened to be these are the things that that mm. grabbed me and spoke to me and i suppose i'm interested in modernity in like a wider sense but yeah just go where the go where the impulse takes you yeah as it as it took shape it became um became quite important to me to make it queer as well mm. so it's um it doesn't have to be the their queerness is not um a, a, a plot point or a theme i just i wanted it to be yeah. incidentally queer um because it's you know it's about a relationship i just think that like having having these universal stories that are told through relationships that weren't always considered universal or accessible to I don't know that that felt very important to me and and um and now of course now it is queer it like it it, it has become a big part of its identity um and the, the way that their their power and privilege moves around that too yeah. it's 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 yeah it's it's been fascinating to kind of watch that take shape and do you think Hannah and Cassie have a good chemistry together you very happy with them in those roles absolutely yeah. yeah we that's why they've been cast um they're great together it's it's really beautiful to watch and very infectious yeah and and that's you know what obviously i've i want people to leave having watched a play that they 
feel provoked by and they want to have big conversations about the themes but I also want people to have had a really good time in the company of two brilliant actors and 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 to have been beguiled by their chemistry and their humor and just to just to have enjoyed you know to have had a good night out um in the in the John McGrath sense and and also just literally (laughs) to have had a a good time um and they they're yeah they're really they're really beautiful performers and they're beautiful people and and they're great to spend time with so that's what I hope people will take away as much as any big thematic thing yeah it sounds fantastic uh if I may I will come and see it when I'm in Edinburgh please do yeah it sounds sounds brilliant um and then do you have once it's um been on in, in Edinburgh do you have any plans to tour uh, autopilot maybe to show it in um other well surely you could get it in at the nottingham playhouse you, you've got connections there haven't you i'd hope so <laughs> yeah. um we'll see i think it really depends how it goes down yeah. and so fingers crossed we, we'd love for it to have a life mm. after edinburgh yeah um we've you know we're inviting various people um as you do we'll just have to wait and see yeah but yeah fingers crossed um i hope it's not a one and done situation but if it is i'll be happy that it happened at all mm-hmm. and and um, on to the next thing. So yeah, yeah. and you ma- mentioned the film as well. That sounds um, fantastic. So you're going to be doing that in the autumn, right? Yeah, shooting that in probably late September. Yeah. Um, we're just firming up all the various things you've got to firm up for that to happen. But we've yeah, we've got some support from the BBC and from the BFI, oh, which amazing. is really really exciting. Um, and working with a great director who I've never worked with before, but is also from the Midlands, Margot Rowe, mm-hmm. and. Uh, brilliant producer and yeah this is the second short f- film I'll have made but massively different to the first one which was when I had just finished drama school and it was three minutes long and we had a uh, much smaller budget and so this yeah. feels like a real kind of um, vote of confidence yeah. from those various institutions and a real chance to like uh, explore something a little bit more expansive yeah yeah brilliant Ben I wish you all the best with autopilot and with the short film as well uh, have you got a title for the uh... yeah it's called monitor the short monitor film. oh fantastic fantastic it makes me think of the uh, the BBC series from the 60s monitor the arts arts program I don't know it yeah check it out I good, will good programs in there uh, so yeah autopilot and monitor and uh, of course the archers if you're an archers <laughs> fan like my dad he'll be uh, tuning in as he always hello does. Chris's dad he's <laughs> gonna love that Ben thank you so much for joining me today I hope Pleasure. you've, thanks hope you've enjoyed me. thanks for introducing me to De Beauvoir, De Beauvoir. Um, there's been a few we've had a few people walking around some kids playing and now everyone's left a very uh, rustic church bell went off a few minutes ago I yeah. enjoyed that I'll edit edit that out oh um, maybe I can get <laughs> maybe we, edit we, it back in we, make it more prominent <laughs> this ominous a bell tolling throughout bell. yeah <laughs> well maybe we can get the sound managers from the archers you can give me that you can give me their numbers and they can just introduce absolutely bizarre rural elements yeah, yeah. like the, the lambs having their young yeah. we could have that during our conversation absolutely oh why is not? that a lamb giving birth <laughs> yeah why not <laughs> we'll do that Ben thank you so thank much you it's so been a pleasure thank cheers. you cheers I hope you enjoyed that episode of Park Date um there's lots more where that came from and there'll be more in the future as well if you enjoyed it please leave a review um good or bad make them funny i'll be reading out the best ones and there'll be a prize for the one that makes me laugh the most name check some trees in your reviews and leave them wherever you get your podcast from check out our website parkdate.co.uk 
and um, if you see me walking around in the park, come and say hello. I think that was the sound of someone sneezing. Um, yes, thank you. Bye bye. Coming up on the next instalment of Park Date, I'll be joined by every single person in the entire world who will sing a jolly song together just for me. So tune in to the next episode of Park Date. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.